Well, it's great to see you guys. Here we are in Romans 10. So if you're new, uh, we've been going through the book of Romans for many months now. And so today we're in Romans chapter 10. And just to kind of recap where we were uh, in Romans 9, uh, we, we learned that before the foundation of the world... God is, is, is choosing us for salvation, and He is choosing us not based on any merit or work or anything at all that we have said or, or, or we're going to do. He's choosing based on His grace and His mercy, and so we understand that, and we're like, man, that, that is amazing. So our response is worship, and, and our response is to you know, accept that love and, and then to extend that love uh, to other people, and, and we also learn that at the same time, that you and I are held responsible for our decisions and and we're held responsible for how we live our life. And so Jesus uh, is before the beginning of time. God is choosing us. And then at the same time, you and I are held responsible for our decision to accept Christ. It's solely all from Him and yet we have uh, a part to play in that. So sometimes, you know, it kind of you know, racks our brain and we're, we can't really comprehend a lot of how that works. We just know that to be the case and that is taught in Scripture. And so we, we can sometimes get confused and, and maybe that leads us to question the justice of God. I don't think that's fair. And, and so Paul says in the end of Romans 9, he says, Who are you as God's creation to question the Creator? Just like a potter has the right to create anything out of this lump of clay, and then out of this lump of clay, he can make anything out of that. You know, God is the, the creator, and who are we to say that he is unjust or, or not unjust? Our minds can't even comprehend his justice and his, his glory and his goodness. And we read in Scripture that what he does is always right. That he loves us, that he cares for us. And so our response as believers today is worship him. And, and not only do we, we embrace that love, but we extend that love to other people. And so when you begin to think about that and read through that, it might begin to register in your mind. And some people take this uh, a little too far and think, well, since God is sovereign and God is in control, then we don't need to share our faith. God's in control. He's going to save whoever he wants to. So we don't need to go to Africa. We don't need to go to Haiti. We don't need to go to these places. God's in control. He's going to save him. And what's amazing about just how this whole letter flows is that Paul goes directly to that topic that it is of huge importance for you and I as believers to share our faith and to share the message of Jesus all around the world and to go into our workplaces, into our communities and around the world to take this message. And, and so next week is going to be more based on what that looks like in our life. Today is just the first 13 verses because the first question we ask is, okay, if, if everybody can be saved and if everybody is responsible for their decision and, and we all have an opportunity uh, to accept Christ, then how do we do that and what does that look like? And so let's look at Romans 10, and he'll begin to share that with us. He says this, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, is that they may be saved. So Paul is, again, he's talking about his, his uh, fellow Jews. So he's talking about all of this, uh, this entire nation who re- is rejecting Jesus. Many are, are, you know, some are accepting Christ, many are not. And he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them to be saved. And so we see a, a heart's desire here. So as a believer, you and I ought to have a, a heart desire, a, a passion for people to know Jesus. 
I mean, that, that's part of who we are as believers in Jesus. If we so believe in this Jesus, if we believe that it is eternal life, if we believe that it is peace and hope through Jesus, then, then our heart's desire should be for the man and the woman in our neighborhood, should be for the countries in the Middle East without Christ to come to know him. That ought to be a part of our desire. It ought to be a part of my heart and it ought to be a part of your heart and it ought to be a, a huge part of our church. And it begins to shape how we do things. Okay? If it's really a part of our heart, it, be, it begins to shape how we do things in the church. And it begins to shape our schedules and how we spend our resources. It begins to shape how we spend our time. If that is our desire that people come to know Jesus, then we make this a priority in our life. That, that making disciples and, and, and being a part of a local church and, and, and being a part of the local ministries that reach into the community to reach people for Christ is, is, is important to us. And he says, it's my heart's desire. And he also says, it's my prayer. So another part of the Christian life is, ought to be, are we praying for people to know Christ? Some of you are like, man, I'm not even praying for me, <laughs> let alone the guy down the road. Except, Listen, as a believer, it ought to be a part of our lifestyle that we're praying for people to accept Christ. And now this is what's confusing. I thought God was in control. Why do we need to pray if God's in control? And Paul says, look, 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 your little, your, our little finite, you know, pea brains, not grasping everything right now, going to as we mature. But right now, maybe not, we don't all get, God's in control. He's choosing at the same time we're responsible. And he's calling us to pray for those to come to know to Christ. Paul says, I have a heart for this. I have a desire for this. And I'm praying for this to happen. He says in verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Again, he's talking about the Jewish nation here. They have a zeal for God. Zeal just means passion. We don't really use that word. Man, I'm, I'm zealous today. No, we say I'm passionate or excited today. But no, here it, it's the same idea though that, that they have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So here's what's happening here. They, they have a zeal for God. They have a passion for God, but it's not according to knowledge. So, so this, this Jewish nation, they, they set up their own standard of, of laws and rules to follow to make themselves righteous. Now to make yourself righteous means that, you know what, that you have a right standing with God. That your standing before God is, is right. And so they created their a, a whole list of do's and don'ts and, and all these regulations on how to make yourself right with God. And the scripture here says, I bear witness that they've got this passion for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's righteousness, and they sought out their own righteousness. So they didn't submit to God's ways, they are submitting to their own ways. And so there are some Jews that are so zealous even today that they will only stay in certain hotels on the Sabbath that have elevators that will automatically stop on every floor level. Because in their law, it is against the Sabbath to push a button. That would be work. Can't do that. And so you look at that and you think, oh man, that's a little over the top. It's a little overboard. But think about it. How many people are doing that today? They've got a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. You look at you know, the, the, so many religious groups that have a zeal or they are spiritual minded. And so they have a zeal for God. You might look at the, the Mormon 
Uh, you might look at the Jehovah's Witness. They have a zeal for the things of God or for spiritual things, but it's not according to knowledge. And so they'll take their own writings and their own interpretation of the Bible, and then they'll confuse all these things, not according to God's knowledge, and then begin to follow all these rules and begin to follow and do all these things. It's not according to God's righteousness. It is their standard and their righteousness. You see, passion is great, but passion alone isn't enough, is it? I mean, these Jews, they, they were passionate about God. I mean, they're writing scripture on their forehead and they're, they're, they're praying X number of times a day and they're doing this and doing that. But at the end of the day, if you're passionate about something, but you don't have the truth, then you're just wasting your time, right? I mean, you know people or have known people that are passionate about their job or they're passionate about a product that they're selling, but it just didn't work or it's just like it was a joke. That's just silly. Nobody's going to buy that. Or, or they have a passion to do something, maybe even for Jesus, but they don't have a clue how to do it. And you're like, man, passion's good, but knowledge and truth, not quite there. Um, this happens to us all the time because we live in a culture that, uh, ha- you know, we're just inundated with commercials in advertising. And so you guys probably watch TV like me and you come across those as seen on TV ads. You know, every week it's like a new exercise machine. And so, you know, how to get a six pack in six minutes. And it's like, you know, really? There are people that believe this stuff. And so now there's a wheel and you hold the wheel and you're going to roll. And, you know, you know, back in the day it used to be the Snuggie. And it's like, who, who really would walk around in, in, in a Snuggie like that? And, and so every week there's something new. I saw something that I just had to share it today because it was like, seriously? And I mean, when they try to sell this, it's like they've got some serious passion. They're like, this is going to change your life. It'll clean everything. It'll do everything. And they're passionate about it. But then you look at it and you're like, what? Can, can you guys show that picture? This is the latest thing. This is, this is the, the Zoomie or Zoomies. Okay. And so Zoomies are, uh, uh, by the way, buy one, get one free. <laughs> who can, I mean, who can doubt that? That's awesome. So you know, the, the advertisement here is that you wear the Zoomies, and now when you go to Neyland Stadium, you might be in the upper bleachers, upper deck, but it's going to be like you're with Butch on the sidelines. You know, you can go, you know, to the basketball game, and you're going to be, you know, on the court with the guys. You can go into the forest, and you can bird watch, so you can see all the birds, you know, or you can pick up a book and read. So I'm like, I don't... I can be at the top of the stadium and see, and then I can, how would I, you know, superhuman, you know, reading ability and superhuman, like, sight with, with the Zoomie. And I just had to show that because they're passionate about this product, but to buy it, you have to look like an idiot, you know? I mean, who's going to walk around with those? I mean, if you thought you were made fun of for wearing glasses as a kid, just wait till your kid shows up at school with this. Hello, Mrs. Jackson. I, you know, it's like, What? All right, take that down before somebody goes online and buys it. <laughs> you see, there's a passion there, but there's no truth. I mean, seriously, that's not going to, you're not going to get superhuman like vision from that. It's 1995. Nothing for 1995 is worth it unless it's socks, you know? Don't, anything with that, that's like the magic number. So, so passion is good, but passion isn't enough, is it? You've got to have the truth. In our culture, we have people that are passionate about this concept that, hey, you know what? Your path, you you follow your spiritual path and it's going to lead to God. I'll follow my spiritual path and it will lead to God. And we'll just all buy coexist bumper stickers and we won't talk about our faith and we'll just be good and we'll just be private about it. I mean, that, that is a cultural 
growing religious philosophy. Keep it private. Let's just make everything is cool. Everybody's going to go. And then we read scriptures like this and it's like, okay, people are passionate about what they believe spiritually. But in the end, if it's wrong, shouldn't you and I step into that equation with the truth? And the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so it might feel good and look good on the outside, but if it's not according to God's truth and it is wrong, then we've got to step in and embrace the truth and extend the truth and share the truth. And, and Jesus is, is all about passion. And we want to be passionate, but we have to have the truth with us. Um, playing basketball in high school, there was this kid on our team named Kyle. And Kyle was uh, a year or two younger than me. And the thing about Kyle was um, he was short and he was tiny. So, you know, basketball, short, tiny, not always a good combo, okay? So he was not very good, but he was the most passionate guy that we knew. And so on the court, he was our Rudy. You remember the movie Rudy? Like, always got beat up, but he was passionate. And so he would get out there and, man, running suicides. He would, like, throw up on the sidelines, and he would always be yelling, and he would always be going 100%, you know. And, and, and so the coach would say, you know, to some guys that were loafing, if you had, you know, just a little bit of Kyle's passion, you'd be an all-star, you know. And then that guy would, like, hate Kyle. and be Like, Kyle, stop working so hard, you know. But, but Kyle was that guy. And so he had a lot of passion, Love that guy. He's an attorney in New York City today. Brilliant dude. I mean, he is, he's, he's an awesome guy. He was a believer. Loved the kid to death. But at the end of the day, he couldn't play. I mean, he, he just didn't have any game. And so the coach never put him in, and, and nobody expected him to, to get in. And so that, that was kind of how that deal worked. Has passion, didn't know how to play, didn't, didn't, couldn't play the game. So, so have to have both, Right. So in the same way, we've got a lot of people that are passionate about this concept and philosophy of religion. Just go your way, do your thing, don't infringe upon my beliefs, don't, don't be vocal about what you believe, and, and, and that will, everything will be okay, and, and, and so just follow that train of thought. And, and, and so that way of thinking leads to death, because without Jesus, there is no heaven, there is no hope. And so, so we have to realize that there are a lot of passionate people in our culture today. And yet it is not according to knowledge. Just like the Jewish people at this time that Paul is facing. They are seeking their own establishment of rules and ways to make themselves right with God. You can be you know, a devout Muslim, a devout Buddhist, pray every day, try to be a good person, but at the end of the day, if that is the road that you take, heaven will not be your home. According to scripture, we know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is where we find salvation. Let's continue to read verse 4. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law. So the law is the Old Testament, the, the, the Ten Commandments, all of these things that we read. He says we're, Christ is the fulfillment. He's the end of that. It doesn't mean that we're allowed to kill people now. No, fulfilling means that he takes those moral standards and he takes them to the next level. So not only is committing the physical act of adultery wrong, but even thinking about lustfully another woman now in the new covenant is 
wrong. And so he takes it to a whole new level. And then there are all the ceremonial laws and all of the sacrificial laws that we read. And if you've ever read Leviticus, you probably, you know, you've read through the Bible or tried to and you went to Genesis and Exodus and it was like, "Woo, I'm doing, I'm going to do it this year. And then you hit Leviticus and you were like, what? You know, it was like, kill a sacrifice and milk and what? I, you know, and so it's like, I don't, I don't get all that. And as far as that system is concerned, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So we don't sacrifice anymore. We don't follow all of those regulations and ceremonial laws any longer. Why? Because he's the fulfillment of the law. Let's continue. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Again, this is the Old Testament. Live by them. Live by these commandments. You, you will live. But... Verse 6, the righteousness based on faith does not say in their heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, what he's, what he's quoting here is a passage in Deuteronomy 30. And, and the idea at this time, Moses is telling the Israelites, you know, you don't have to go across the seas. You don't have to go to the depths of the ocean or, or anywhere. The, the word of God, God is near you. He's in your heart. He's in your mouth. And so Paul is now taking that Old Testament passage and he's reinterpreting it to, uh, and, and apply it to Jesus here. And he says, look, this, you don't have to uh, go to heaven You know, that is to bring Christ down. You don't have to go to heaven and bring Jesus down to earth to have God near to you. He's already come, right? He's already already come here. We don't have to go to heaven and bring him here. He's already done. The point is salvation is here. And then you don't have to go into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. You don't have to go there and do that. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's he's already done that, so so that is why salvation is here. No other faith, no other religion is going to claim that their leader has died and rose from the grave because it has never happened. Jesus does this, and and so there's no need to to, to, to go here, to go there. He's already come here, he's already died, and he's already rose from the grave. He says, but what does it say? He says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. And that's the faith that we proclaim. Listen, salvation is available. And salvation is available to you today. It's not something that you have to come through a priest or a pastor or a clergyman to get. It's not something that you have to wait until you get your act cleaned up. Salvation is available and real and here for you and I today. He says it's near to you. God is not some distant, you know, being. He didn't create the world, get us spinning on our axis and then kind of step off as the agnostic would believe and say, you guys are on your own now. God is near you. He is drawing you. One of the reasons that you're here today is because the Holy Spirit of God has drawn you into this fellowship. So God is working in our hearts. He is near us. He is near us. And, and listen, remember when we read in, in Romans 8, nothing separates us, no trial, no, 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 nothing that ever happens bad in our life. There's no time. There's, no, there's nothing that separates us from him because he is near. He's near to you today as you are going through your trial, as Jesus is dying on the cross. You remember Jesus says, it is finished. Now that's one word in the Greek language. It is finished. He says that one statement, and in that statement, he is saying that the debt that you owed God because of your sin is now 
paid in full. It is finished. That same Greek word, is, it would have been used and, and was used in a court of law. If somebody was declared innocent, if someone is, 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 is serving their, their prison sentence and they've, they've fulfilled their prison sentence, they would stamp, paid in full, it is finished. The debt that he, had, he owes is done. If you had a debt and you owed a bank or you owed somebody money and you paid off that debt, it would come across the court, it would come across the table and they would stamp it. It is paid in full and that's the same idea that Jesus is taking when he says, your sin is paid in full. Now here's what's left. Our response, that you must accept it and follow him. You see, every other religion in our world says this is what you have to do. Do this and do that three times a day. Go here once in your lifetime. Do this. For the Christian faith and following Jesus, the word is done. He has done it. He has paid it all. He has, he has delivered on his promise and, and he has finished it. In one act, Jesus is dying. He is raising from the grave. And and the Bible says here in verse 8 that the word is near you. And this is what we are proclaiming, that God's word is near us. So, So how can we be saved? Well, there's not a more clear passage in Scripture than right here. Verse 9. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. <clears throat> For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, some people who believe in him, oh my bad, I need to get my zoomies out so I can read this. <clears throat> the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You walk in the room and you think, you know what, what I've done or what I am doing, a little too bad. God can't save me. We develop this, this idea of salvation by subtraction. Where if, if I subtract this habit, I subtract this from my life, I subtract this attitude, then God will save me. Then I can get involved in ministry or I can get involved in church. And he, said, he doesn't say, get, you know, believe and subtract those habits in your life and then you get to enjoy salvation. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, get, you know, believe and stop wearing makeup, <laughs> you know. Believe and start wearing fill in the blank. There, there's, there's no statement in the Bible like that. You know, th- this is the word that he proclaims, that salvation is here for you. Salvation is here for me. And it is very near to us today. So let's break this down just a little bit. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus today will be saved. I wonder if you've ever done that. Some of you don't know if you're a Christian. Some of you aren't a Christian. You know you're not a Christian. And I just want to say, have you ever called upon the name of Jesus today? Here's what he says. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So that's the first step. A confession. A confession is verbally, with my mouth, I am confessing that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? It's not like calling Jesus a good dude. I mean, Jesus, you're a good guy. It's it's totally different than that. 
Calling him Lord is totally different. In fact, Jesus never said he was a good guy. Uh, C.S. Lewis is famous for, for making this point. He says that, look, Jesus cannot be a good guy. On one level, a good guy doesn't call himself God. A good God, or a good guy doesn't say the things that Jesus said. He is either a liar and he is crazy or he is real and he is the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the grave. You can't call him a good guy. There's no room for that. He's either our savior or he's crazy. And we have to make that call. We we are responsible for that decision today. You see, for you and I to confess Jesus as Lord simply is, is saying that he is our master, he is our Lord, he is our supreme authority. We are giving everything to him. We are laying down who we are and we are picking up and following who he is calling us to be. Making him Lord of our life, our supreme authority. And yes, giving him absolute control of our life. We don't use the word Lord very much unless it's in a religious setting. But back in the day, first century, you know, Lord was used in a lot of different ways. So for us, it's kind of a weird kind of statement that Jesus is Lord. But when I confess that Jesus is Lord, it's not like, you know, think of it like this. It's not just like something I do when I'm a kid and then I go off and I live the rest of my life. And and it's just something that I said. I could have shown up on, you know, my wedding day to my wife and done the tux, done the ring, did the, the whole vow thing and committed to be her husband and love her for all eternity, you know, for the rest of my life. Made that commitment and then walked out, bought her a house in Maryville. Hey, have a good life. I'm actually going to live, you know, in Florida and um, we'll talk occasionally. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of do that deal and I've got a job down there. You stay here. I mean, that would not be a fulfillment of my vows, would it? I mean, the same concept is true in our culture today. People get hung up on the sinner's prayer. And and yeah, I said the sinner's prayer. And then I, you know, that just left the church. It's like the sinner's prayer is not some magical prayer that, that makes everything right between you and God. Confessing Jesus as Lord makes you right in the presence of God. So, so confessing him as Lord is a posture of my life. It is something that I verbally confess, I verbally say. It's not just something I do in my heart and in my mind and then walk out and think of. No, he says a verbal confession that Jesus is my Lord. He is the supreme ruler and authority in my life. And later my actions begin to show that. So he says, confess with your mouth. The way that I live my life is the confession that he is my Lord. And secondly, he says, believe with our heart. Believe with our heart. Believe with our heart. Now, this is different than asking Jesus to come into our heart, which sometimes we say, and that's not really a biblical you know, verse, but what he means here, believe with your heart, is, is exactly what uh, elsewhere in Scripture when we see heart. It means who you are. It's your love. It's your desires. It's your core of what makes everything you, you. And so it's, it's, it's our worship and it's, it's this idea of, of it's everything. It's my time, my talent, my devotion. It's my heart. It's my heart's desire. It's who I am. So with everything that I am, I am believing in Jesus. I'm confessing him as my Lord. And I'm believing in the innermost parts of who I am. From the depths of who I am, I believe that he has done what? I mean, this is... This is what it says. What's it say? Believe 
that Jesus was raised from the grave. Now that's, that is like the crux of the Christian life. That is the central theme. Easter, what we celebrate is the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, then there is no Christianity. Paul says it later in, in 1 Corinthians. If, the, if, if Jesus does not raise from the grave, then everything that we are doing is, is pointless. He says, no, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is the issue. The resurrection. Jesus died, yes. He paid in full our sin, yes. But he conquered death. He rose from the grave. So who can be saved? Let's continue. We're we're confessing with our mouth, believing with our heart. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. Justified means made right before God. Even though there's sin in our life, he justifies us and makes us. He declares us righteous. And with our mouth one confesses and is saved. And then verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So anyone who is confessing Jesus is Lord this morning and is believing with their heart that God raised him from the dead is saved. He says there's no distinction between a Jew, a Greek, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. You know, it doesn't matter what continent you were raised on. It doesn't matter what kind of socioeconomic background you grew up in. He says there's no distinction For the same Lord is Lord of all, and he's bestowing his riches on all of us who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, how then will they call? That's next week. How will they call? That's us. That's me and you sharing. That's me and you allowing this idea of of God's grace being extended to them. So, let's talk about salvation. A few, few points here. Because... Maybe you're like me, and in my life, I grew up in a church that had revivals. Um, anybody grew up in a church with revivals? <clears throat> All right, so you guys did. So, so revivals were for Christian people, you know, and we called them revivals. We didn't know if revival was, was happening, uh, but that's what we called them, you know. I guess we were hoping. And so at the revival, we'd bring in a gifted communicator. He had a lot of cool stories, and he was emotional, and he was energetic. And so he would come, and basically, like his whole you know, week uh, for, for me as a kid, it seemed like, you know, was to convince all of you, you know, who think you're Christians, you really aren't a Christian. And so then there would be people that would pray the, the prayer again, and it's like deacons would be praying, and elders, and sometimes pastors, and it's like, what is going on here? And, they're getting, and it's like, what? And so <clears throat> it's, it's just com- confusing sometimes. And so this is what I had a habit to do in growing up in church. And if you grew up in church, I want you to be honest with me. Matter, matter of fact, this is for everybody, so can we all play the raise your hand game if this is true for you? If you have ever prayed what we call the sinner's prayer more than once, just to make sure. Raise your hand. Just to make sure. Hands are all over the room. Just to make sure, right? And so at the end of the service, you know, it's like you're sweating and you're nervous because, you know, you're sleeping with your girlfriend or you're, you know, you were at the club the night before and it's like, I've got to do this. And, or, or you were a Christian and, and, and you, had a, you were living the perfect life. I mean, you weren't doing anything wrong. But in that moment, he was persuading you and convincing you that, man, you better do it just to make sure. Matter of fact, we had one guy that, that would come and he would say, if you are 99% sure, then you are 100% not a Christian. When I think about that now, it breaks my heart. 
I had one guy say, you know, he made everybody stand up and he said, I want you to look to the person to your left and look to the person to your right and tell them that you are, you know, 100% sure that you are a Christian and you are going to heaven. Now, we're not going to do that here today, by the way. But as a kid growing up, I remember the first time that happened with this guy. And I happened to be sitting by one of the most beautiful senior girls in, like, the school. And at that time, I was 13, okay? So don't ask me the whole story of how I finagled that seat. That's a different, that's a different sermon. Uh, but there I was. And so then the evangelist is standing up telling me, first of all, a conversation with a 13-year-old, and this girl kind of looked like this. Uh, that's all I had. That was the only thing I had. But just, you know, just getting that seat, you know, I was kind of pointing at my friends, and they were like, yeah, you got, you know. So that was the whole fun of that, that service. My mind was really on Jesus, you know. But... <laughs> So he did that, and I just remember, that was my stance. It was like, uh, you know, and, and so then I felt like, man, maybe I'm not a Christian, you know. And so I, I pray again, and then I go forward again. So, so let's just look at the Scripture, okay? Some of you struggle with this. And so the struggle comes down to your, your maturity. Your maturity, not, not necessarily, you know, emotionally or physically. You're a grown man. you got a man beard, and, and, but you still don't know if you've prayed the prayer and if you've accepted Christ. So let's just look at it. Can you just look at it? And can, can nobody get up and leave from here on out? Because this is like the serious moment. I don't want any distractions in here today because there are people who honestly and genuinely struggle with this. It keeps them up at night. They're sitting in their seat right now squirming because they know this is an issue. And we want to resolve this. And we want to move forward in maturity what God has for us in the future. So, so let's, let's look at Romans 9 again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, that, that he is my supreme authority, that the posture of my life from this day forward is that he is my king. He is my master, and I am, I am serving him. Step one, that you've confessed that with your mouth, and that you believed in your heart, that, that you know. In other words, you know, you believe with everything that you are that, that Jesus was raised from the grave. And so you know that, that he died on the cross for your sin and he, he made that payment and it was for you. And so, so if you confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that you will be saved. So that's the deal. Have, have you done that? Have you made that decision? Now, now some of you, you, you make that decision, and then you continue to struggle with sin. So here's the deal. If you've made him your Lord, maybe it wasn't like a, I'm a you know, hardened criminal, and I accept Jesus, and now I'm not anymore. You know, I was addicted to heroin last night, and today I put up the needles. You know, maybe that wasn't your story specifically, because sometimes as we grow up in church, or maybe you were in a long Bible study that, that over weeks you really kind of began to understand Jesus, your understanding of Jesus was like a process and understanding him a little bit more and more. And, and so some people can remember the, the exact day, the exact time, the exact moment that they said yes to Jesus. And others, if you grew up in church, well, I made a decision of some kind when I was seven. I looked back, I wasn't quite sure. And then later on, this is me personally, later on in high school as a teenager, I made an, an, another decision. And, and so I was baptized at that moment because I really felt like at seven, I didn't really understand what I was doing. I actually went forward because my best friend went forward and I was like, where's he going? I'm going, you know, and, and nobody knew that at the time, but me, but so that's kind of my story and how that developed. But, 
But from the time I was born up until the time that I made that decision, um, I, was, I knew about Jesus. I had knowledge. I had understanding. But there was this whole concept of making him a Lord in my life. And, and so I made him the Lord of my life at that point, And I was baptized. And, and so from there, I was still a punk. I, I was still struggling with various sin. And, and I still struggle with various sin today. So the sin that I struggle with doesn't mean that I, I didn't do it right. I didn't get it right. But now my understanding is I, I know that my attitude is to, is to live for him and to overcome that. And so there's a, there's a maturity there going on in my mind where, oh my gosh, I was disrespectful to my wife. And I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that and I don't want to do that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing to her in the posture of my life. Do you understand that? The, the posture of my life. You know, you know what posture is, you know, we don't take etiquette classes, but it's like some of you are slouching, you know, and you're kind of chilling on the verge of napping right now. Some of you are like proper and kind of sitting up and, and so it kind of makes it look like you're, you're listening. And, and, and so I don't, I don't know if you are or not, but that's our posture and how we sit and how we stand conveys a message. And so the posture of my life is conveying and confessing this posture that Jesus is my Lord. I'm confessing it and he's on my mind. And when I sin, I am apologizing and I'm I'm working through it, and that's who I am today. Now, if you're a believer and you've made a decision, you're not 100% like, I know everything and I'm, I'm perfect. You're struggling with that. And so, is sin in your life? Yes. doesn't mean you didn't do it right and you don't need to do it to, to make sure today. But here's what it does mean. Here, here, here's what it does mean. If you're a Christian today and there's sin in your life that you know about, then you need to begin to repent of that sin and turn from that sin. Because if Jesus is Lord of your life, then that's the posture. Then I'm, I'm discovering this sin and I'm repenting of this sin and I'm turning, turning it over to Jesus. Because he's, he's the sinner. I mean, he's the sinner. That, he's my Lord, so he's the sinner. My focus, my priorities, and, and I'm running towards, towards him. Now, some of you, so, so step one for some of you that are believers today and you're like, I'm a believer You've got to repent. You've got to turn. And that's why some of you struggle with your salvation because you just got sin in your life and you've got to repent of that sin and then your relationship will begin uh, to make more sense and you'll have more of that connection with God. But until you do, that's going to always be a struggle. Now, some of you have never accepted Christ. You've never confessed him as Lord. Maybe as a, you know, as a kid, you said a quick little prayer, but just like a wedding vow and then moved to Florida and you get a house and we never see each other again doesn't make you really a married couple. Maybe, maybe legally, but, but, but here and the point is the relationship is not there. And here's another point. Here's another point. Salvation happens one time. One time. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our life at the moment of conversion. And it's not like getting into a hot bathtub and the Holy Spirit is kind of like tipping his toe in the hot water. Ooh, I think I'm going to come in. Eh, not quite yet. He's not ready. I think he's ready. Oop, I was wrong. No, the Holy Spirit of God, when we confess Jesus as Lord, instantaneously comes into our life. It happens one time and it happens instantaneously. So, so there is a, a process of understanding him. And the more that we understand him, the more that our behavior changed and the more that it is evident that we have faith in Jesus. But the, the conversion experience happens one time and it happens instantly in our life. And so going back, when did that happen for you? Man, for me, it's, it's kind of like maybe seven, but I know I kind of really nailed it down as a teenager. When, when did it nail down for you? When, when did that whole conversation and when did that happen for you, that you've, you've, you've understood that. And so that's what today is all about. 
that, that we would have this time to say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I need to repent of some sin. And so that's the, that's the response time. As, as the band comes up and, and as they begin to, to get ready for what we're about to do, uh, we're going we're gonna to sing and we want to worship. And during this, I want to ask you to pray and repent and turn. And maybe the person you're sitting next to needs to hear an apology from you. I don't know. Um, and maybe you need to text an apology to somebody. Or maybe it's a face-to-face this afternoon, but, but you need to make some kind of relationship right today. So you're turning from that. For others of you, you're saying, I kind of was going my own way. I've made my own little, little understanding of righteousness and what's going to make me right. And so I began to follow that. And, then, and the truth is, I've never really given my heart and life to Jesus. I've never confessed to him. I've never given him everything. Man, I've said words and prayers, but at the end of the day, have I really given my life to him? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that for yourself. So here's what we're going to do. As we stand and sing in just a moment, after I pray, our counselors are going to be standing at this door to my left, to your right. As we sing, as we pray, people are praying. Uh, if you need Christ in your life today, you know that you need to talk through something. You know, you're not sure. You maybe just want to talk. Our counselors would love to spend uh, a few minutes with you and help you walk through this decision. The most important decision of your entire life. The most important thing you and I will ever do. And once we receive Christ into our life, remember, nothing separates us from his love. When the Holy Spirit enters, he's not checking out, you know, at midnight saying, you know what, time's up, pal. Can't, you know, I can't put up with you any longer. I'm out of here. It doesn't work like that. The Bible says that nothing separates us from the love of Christ. And so when Christ's Spirit enters our soul, he's with us through every situation today. And my question for you is, have you done that? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we close today, there are men and women in this room that if they were honest, they know that they have never committed their life to you. And I want to ask, Lord, that in this setting, as we worship today, that you would move them out of their seats and they would finally confess you as Lord of their life. It's It's what they've wanted. It's what they've known. For whatever reasons, God, they've been afraid. Today, I pray that you would move them. Lord, for those in this room that are struggling in their walk with you because of sin, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the power and strength to repent and turn. And maybe they've done it a hundred times, but today will be 101, and today will be the first step in the right direction like never before. And you'll give them the grace and the mercy that they need to carry them forward. Father, move in this place. Have your way in this place. We want to worship you for who you are and what you've done. And and the rest of us are praying for those. And our hearts desire us to see this move. And so as, as we stand and worship, let's be praying. Let's be singing. Let's be worshiping. And Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.